pause and we reflect and we give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor. And we say together that, Lord, we do indeed love you. And we're thankful. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. This time, if all children would please make their way to the rear of the room, at which time they will be collected by those hands that are waving feverishly. And all youth will go to their respective places. And everyone else, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. My name is Donna Hopes. Good morning. This morning, I'll be reading from Psalm 7. I come to you for protection, O Lord, my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Oh, Lord, my God, if I've done wrong or am guilty of injustice, if I betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground and drag my honor in the dusk. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. End the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent... God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. This is the reading of the Lord's word. Good morning, Christ Central. Thank you, Sister Donna. Um, ah, it's such an incredible psalm. It's immediately starting out with this cry for protection. And... Um, it just hit me, and this isn't even in my notes, but it just hit me as, even as I was standing there listening to, uh, to our sister read that word to us. And it reminded me, um, just as we've already been talking about this morning, about the, the need for fathers in our lives. And one of the um, things that we long for from our fathers is protection. And uh, so many people are living in the world unprotected, uh, without covering. And what is our duty as Christians to stand for those who are unprotected, and that's a free little application from the sermon before I even preached it, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but there, there's that, um, as we think about those who are unprotected among us and in our city and around us, what is our responsibility? Um, let me start just by saying this, that some of you have heard me share this story before, that um, and, uh, Pastor Josh was just in Disney World last week, and uh, I've been there before, and uh, the last time that I went with my family, 
I was uh, thoroughly disgusted and annoyed with Magic Kingdom. Um, and I, I know that may sound sacrilegious to some people, but when we went, we went, it was super hot. Um, all my Orlando, Florida people in the house, I'm so sorry. It's humid down there, though. It's so sticky. It feels like an armpit when you walk around there. Um, but, uh, but nevertheless, um, you know, if you're used to it, you know, we enjoyed it. But, uh, but we got there to Magic Kingdom, and this is, you know, I'm from New York City, so take this with a grain of salt. But Magic Kingdom felt like Times Square on steroids. Right, so if you ever been to like Times Square or Grand Central Station, or you've heard people make, you know, like these sort of metaphorical you know, statements about, oh, it's like Grand Central in here. Like Magic Kingdom is ten times that. So many people all over the place on top of you. Kids don't know what to do. They're confused. People are crying. Like, and it's not just the kids. The adults are crying all over the place for various reasons. And it's hot, and so you're on top of each other, and it was just miserable. And um, but then we finally. Uh, on our trip, our family trip, we went to Magic Kingdom was the next park that we went to. And I got there, and it was like more space, um, lots of nature, right? It's just you've seen the animals and those different things. I got pictures of birds just flying over our heads and, you know, music playing. And, and I felt like we were more exposed to human cultures as opposed to, like, fairies and make-believe princesses and things like that, right? It, it was earthy. You know, getting to when you get to Animal Kingdom, it's like, oh, right, my planet matters. Right? Like, reality is good. <laughs> you know, I want to stay right here in this place and enjoy myself. And, you know, so we're there, like, drums are playing, the music's fun, and enjoying ourselves. And um, it just reminded me, and, of course, and I'm a little weird because I get into these places, and most people, they get to Animal Kingdom or Disney World, and you just jump on the rides, right? You enjoy yourself. No, not me it becomes a metaphor for some philosophical musing. So, um, so, <laughs> so, I'm in my, so we're in Animal Kingdom, and I start thinking immediately about uh, how important it is that God has placed us in a place, right, that we are on earth. Um, that place matters. And, uh, and as we find ourselves in a particular place, we are also there, as we learn from Genesis, to cultivate that place, right, to bring forth its potential. And, and that's what I started thinking about. And as I connected to what you've just heard today in Psalm 7, there are many people around us and perhaps uh, in this room this morning who do not feel free to cultivate the places around them because maybe you feel unprotected, maybe there's shame, maybe there's, and what we'll talk about today is criticism. In the wilderness of life, as it were, there are these dehumanizing pressers, uh, as people say. It's a jungle out there. And the psalm speaks of a lion that chases us and keeps us from answering that call as human beings to simply cultivate the places around us. That lion is not Mufasa, as terrifying as he is to the jackals. But that line is criticism. And there's something about the fear of criticism that keeps us from joy-filled and self-giving lives. Now, when I say criticism, I, I'm not talking about constructive criticism, right? It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. All the dads in the house, you know, we need a little constructive criticism in our lives. We all need that, right? Uh, from time to time, maybe not every five minutes, 
on the hour, but, you know, but, but we need it throughout our lives. We need a little constructive criticism. And I would dare to even say not just fathers who are alive, but also founding fathers need a little constructive criticism. Amen? That's all I'll say on that. But there's, um, you know, I remember back in the day, right, in the, in the 80s, there used to be, um, uh, you know, we used to talk about the, uh, in your school, they'd have this, all the signs over the place, so like this is a drug-free zone. And that was real because you'd go to some playgrounds and there would literally be crack vials on the floor, right? So, I mean, you think about this. I mean, today, I mean, some people just can't even imagine that, right? Just going to a playground and you just think, oh, okay, my kids go there. And now it's all like they have all this natural stuff. And I've seen like some playgrounds have been turned into CrossFit gyms. Have you seen this? Where they've got like the ropes and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, I mean, this is, I mean, we're taking health to the next level, you know, for kids. Um, it used to just be like, you know, jump around the glass, you know, and that kind of deal, like, uh, that's, <laughs> that's like health for kids. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, but you had certain playgrounds that said that you had to put a sign there and say, hey, look, this is a drug-free zone. Right? And now today, what I see in a lot of schools is that this is a no-bully zone. Because negative criticism has become a thing in our age. It turns out that sticks and stones can actually hurt you, right? Um, and they won't just go away. When we're hurt by those words, they, they, they leave a mark. For some, they leave scars. And um, while we're on this theme today, right, unfortunately, some of those wounds have come from our fathers or those who were like fathers to us. Is there a way to become deeply human in the midst of these pressures, in the midst of this negative criticism, or what I will call, um, going forward, slander. Is there a way in the midst of all this slander to remain deeply human and to not be deformed? David, in this psalm, is a victim of slander. He's wrongly criticized, and it results in deep insecurity. And for those of us who have been victims of slander, you know that depending on who it came from and how often you received it and when it happened, it can leave you feeling incredibly insecure, like you don't belong. Like maybe this church isn't for me. Maybe this group isn't for me. Maybe this friend circle isn't for me. Maybe this country isn't for me. It's just, it can leave wounds. And so David was not immune to that. And, but by the end of this song, his heart is expanded in love for others and worshipful gratitude to God. And so my question for us this morning is, how can we get there? When we're dealing with criticism, when we're dealing with slander, if we've been wounded and if there are scars on our hearts, how can we get to the place where David ends up by the end of this psalm? I want to suggest something that's counterintuitive which is that we actually hide. Hey, the, 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 the slander, the criticism actually makes you want to hide, to not be present in the place around you and to cultivate it and to, um, to be yourself and to seek meaning where you are. But I'm telling you that the way to actually come out from hiding is to hide. We can be delivered from fear of criticism by actually hiding in the Lord. 
So I'm giving away the punchline right away, okay? So this, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, what we're going to talk about this morning is security in the Lord, security in Christ. So how can we be delivered from the fear of criticism? We can do so by hiding in the Lord as we remember that he is one, our refuge, that he is also our ruler. We remember that God, or we see that God is our refuge and also our healer. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 in Psalm 7, David says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. And then in verse 12, he said, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and ready his bow. God means business, and yet he is also a refuge. And so we want to take a look at this. David is hiding. Right? He literally says in the text, I go to you, Lord, in, for safety. And we don't know much about David's situation, what prompted the writing of this particular song. But most psalms don't give any context, and which is fine because that makes it easier for us to sort of insert our situation into the psalm. And so um, if we don't know everything that's going on historically, that's good for us. But it's likely that David wrote this psalm during the early days of his reign as king. But he was not yet the worldwide legend that he would become. David was given the throne, if you recall, by God, who had stripped the crown from Saul. And Saul attempted at many times to take David's life. Then Saul eventually died. And David immediately embraced, was immediately embraced by his own tribe. But the rest of Israel had to come around. And they came along pretty slowly. And so David had this new job as king over all of God's people. And part of his job was to provide safety and to administer justice in such a way that all the peoples of Israel would flourish to the glory of their God. All the people of Israel, not just his tribe, but all the people of Israel. He dedicated himself to people and to place to bring forth their potential. And then people needed to trust him as their king. And some may have favored Saul, especially those who came from his tribe. And if you might recall which tribe that was. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. If you want to sabotage somebody who's become a new leader, simply spread some lies. I had a friend who just a few years ago was, had a pretty, pretty public role at a church, and this was probably like at the sort of like the rise of the, the Me Too movement. And somebody went digging for stuff on him. And it turns out it was completely false. But the damage had been done. Right? And, he's, and he was just about to start moving into some projects that would have had an international impact. Uh, and it, all of a sudden, like, all that was just gone. The damage had been done. Somebody decided to spread some lies. Now the Lord... Um, and his grace has used those wounds to create a new ministry um, that has been beautiful just to watch that uh, come together and to see what the Lord has done with that. But that's just an example, right? If you want to 
tear somebody down, if you want to ruin their chances of, of being a good leader, just spread a couple of lies. David was fearful under some mudslinging from a particular person. He writes about this. We didn't read this, but it's in the liner notes of the psalm. And it, it says here, if you were to go into your Bibles and look at the beginning of Psalm 7, it says that, um, that David wrote this psalm, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Right? This is somebody who's from the same tribe as Saul. Right? Surprise, surprise. Somebody who was part of the previous administration doesn't like what's happening with the new administration, and so he's decided to start spreading some lies. And these were lies regarding the integrity of David's character. And it could have cost him his job. And if it had cost him his job, it would have hurt the people. And who would have known? that whatever was said about David was actually true. Right? Who would have been able to stand in the gap and to stand up for David and to speak on his behalf and to say, like, no, these things are not true. Right? He is worthy to be our next leader. And so David then goes to the Lord. Verse 3, O Lord, my God, if I had done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Right? David takes himself, he takes his reputation and he places it on the Lord. He's like, these things have been said about me and I don't know if anybody can stand up in my place Right? And, and prove that these things are false, but I'm going to put my reputation in your hands, Lord. And if, if it is found that I've actually done these things, then let, let, let the consequences then fall. But if not, God, would you rescue me? David's plight, I think, should resonate with us. Have you ever had a relationship or a job opportunity a project that you were working on, something that you were hoping to accomplish through your work that was mauled by slander. I mean, it's discouraging, right? I mean, it's, it's painful. I mean, sometimes criticism can be so bad that you actually start to take vows. You take vows where you say, never again, right? Never again will I make a presentation. Never again will I manage a project. Never again will I go on an audition or put my writings, my paintings, my music, any of my art out there. Never again will I do that. Never again will I pursue authentic friendships or never again will I date someone within the church because of slander. Never again will I do this. And the list goes on. There have been plenty of times in which it, in my own life where I've said, Lord, never again. Never again will I try that. I remember when I was, um, oh gosh, this must have been, I'm pretty sure this was high school. And, um, you know, so I'm hanging out with my boys. It's a youth trip. Uh, but, you know, we're all hanging out in the back of the bus and stuff like that. And 
So I'm just like, okay, you know, there's this other girl on the bus. I just, I just want to talk to her. That's why I just want to have a conversation with her, you know, just like real normal kind of conversation. I'm not looking to go over to her and like rap a taste, you know, and, you know, start coming out with like busting out lyrics and all this kind of stuff and pulling flowers out of nowhere and that kind of deal. Like I don't want to, I just want to have a conversation with her. That's it, right? So I go and I sit down right next to her just to have a conversation. And, uh, you know, I've always heard, like, as a kid coming up that, hey, if you want to develop a relationship and a, eventually you want it to go somewhere, it should start out as a friendship, right? Be good friends. You know, I'm just thinking this is just normal human relationships. But no, my boys are like, they got to creep up behind the chairs behind us. Oh, they, he's talking. He's, at, he's talking to her about a TV show. Ha, ha, ha. You know, he's... They're sitting over there just talking, like, they wanted me to, like, you know, turn into Casanova and start, like, wooing her and stuff like that on the bus in front of all these other teenagers. I'm like, there's no way. I'm not doing that, right? I'm just going to have a normal conversation with her. But after that conversation, because, like, you know, like, the, and the, those charter buses, like, you know, the, the bathrooms, sometimes they smell so bad, like, in the back. But the, the thing that stunk the worst was with the criticism that I was getting from my so-called boys. I'm just trying to like figure out how to develop a relationship with the opposite sex. That's all. And y'all sitting here like maligning me. It's like, oh, he's a punk, and look at what he's saying, and he can't say it right, and stuff like that. I'm like, dad, well, guess I should just give up trying. Like, that's it. Because I'm just, I'm not man enough, right? I'm not boy enough, I guess. Never again, God. Never again. Um, Obviously, the Lord did some healing there because I'm married today and I have three children, thank God. Um, but uh, I took a vow. I took a vow at that point. And some of you have stories like that, but that maybe even more dramatic than that was. Have you numbed yourself in the face of slander because of what others have said about you, the evaluations that the world has given to you? Do you feel anymore? Is there some place in your heart where you should be able to feel the world and you've shut that off? You're cut off from it because you have taken vows. Taking such vows grieves the Lord. Not because he's angry, but because he weeps for you. Because you're tempted to surrender your call to feel the world as he feels it and to exalt the world, bringing forth its potential. Crippled by fear and shame, you nearly give up on your unique role in this world. David was certainly tempted, but he had to remain king, and he had to become better. So he runs to the Lord, and he says, Oh, Lord, my God, and don't miss this, because he doesn't just say, Oh, Lord, he says, Oh, Lord, my God. He has confidence that he and God belong to one another. It's an instinct that he has. It's an instinct that, uh, that uh, Dee already spoke to this morning in the Lord's Prayer, that we would run to God and call him our Father. It's an instinct like a child who is frightened and, and cries out, Mama. Right? He believes that the Lord is his God and that uh, God will fight for his cause. If God is your God, then he is committed to being your refuge. When you are attacked by the fear of criticism, you can run to him. And, and here's the, the, the deeper issue. 
Um, slander will always be a reality in our broken world, right? We can't get rid of it. It will always come for us at some point or another. Some of us are deeply afraid, right, becoming, uh, of becoming truly alive to the world because of criticism in general or because of the words that were given to us when we were younger from friends or fathers. Questions that keep you up at night or questions such as how will people remember me? Right, because I haven't made an impression on the world. I have, I'm, not, I'm not really present because these, these, this criticism has kept me from living, from being alive, from being here. I've hidden myself. And so I can only but struggle with the question, what difference will I make with my life? Who will remember me? What will God say about my life? But criticism need not have the last word on who you are and who you will become. But these questions, they make you sweat instead of motivate you to love and motivate you to take courage and to invest yourself in the lives of others and the people around you. And you probably struggle trusting that you belong to God. Right? And that he... Maybe at some point in your life you thought, okay, yeah, God has a wonderful plan for me. But then that criticism hit, or those old wounds surfaced, and you had no way to get healing. And now you start to believe that, yeah, okay, God had a wonderful plan, past tense, but now it sort of fell through. There's nothing left for me. Right? And then the next thing that happens is you begin to wonder if God was even really for you in the first place. Was God even really for me? How can you stand up to the criticism of this world if you're not even sure what God thinks of you? So maybe you're never again. It's never will I trust in God. Never again will I give my life to him. Never again will I surrender my identity to his words or his actions. Right? Or maybe what you've said is, look, you know, I, I tried to keep my spiritual resume in shape. I tried to do all the, the things that God requires of a person. And look what has happened to me. Right? God has let me down. When, when will I get the, the good things that God has promised? When will those come to me? After all the good that I've done, haven't I deserved a better reputation? Doesn't my resume say that I'm a better person than what the other people say? Or what this abandonment that I sense from the Lord, what that is saying about me? But deep down we know, even as we look at our works, even as we look at our spiritual resume, the sort of commend ourselves, to sort of redeem ourselves in the face of criticism, right? We know that deep down that there, there's really no way to commend ourselves to God. After all, as we said already this morning, he is holy. How can we possibly commend ourselves to him? And so then the idea of an infinite and personal God 
as a judge disturbs us. But look at David again. He does something in the face of this reality of a God who is judge, right, who is infinite, who is personal. That means like he relates to us. He can hear and speak and all these different things, right? But yet, what does is, what is David do? I read this already, but look again. Verse 3, he says, he says, Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. I just realized I have a different translation. I think I've got ESV, and you guys have New Living Translation up there, so hopefully you're doing the switch as you're reading that. Um, but David says, if I've truly done these things, God, then take away my livelihood. Go ahead and take it away. Why? Like, or rather, how? How in the world could David say this? Take away my livelihood if I'm guilty of these things. If this is who I really am, then just, just take it away. Why? Because what matters most is belonging to God. Right? It, David is confident that he belongs to the Lord and that the Lord belongs to him. And so if he takes away his livelihood, he still has who? He still has the Lord. And that's a tough thing to, to, to meditate on, to even rely upon in our day. And it's certainly tough for me is that, you know, in our household, as we're trying to make ends meet, I'm just thinking, I don't know if, like, I, I, hear what the, I hear what Jesus is saying, you know, man does not live by bread alone. Like, but he didn't say, like, no bread. He just said, like, by bread alone. Like, I still need that bread. You know, come on, God. Like, let me have a little something. You know, just like, give me, give me that paper. You know, just so we can take care of these bills. I'm a, can't I have you and the paper? Um, and yet, and yet, David is able to go before the Lord. And say, I am willing to surrender all that I have to your hands if I still have you. Right? Alicia Keys wasn't the first person to come up with that one. So if we have the Lord, if we have him, then you can go out into the world as an entrepreneur and fail. Right? You can, you can take risks. Right? And even in... Uh, and fail because of a, a web of lies that have been uh, w woven together against you. Uh, you. You can go out into the world uh, and, and know, right, that if you have a parent, that just, let's just like, if we take this away just from the Lord for a second and think about uh, our natural relationships, just think about your home. You can go out into the world and face, if you have a parent, just one parent at home that would not disown you, Right, then you feel secure because you can go out into the, into the world, take risks, and know that you can always come home. And this is what David has realized, that no matter what happens to me out there, if I have the Lord, I can always go home. Do you see what's going on here? So David remembered that he belonged to God. So what, which is the refuge here? Which is the refuge for us in our lives when we face criticism? Is it our achievements or is it God? So this is where we have to begin to evaluate our lives, our work lives, and our relationships 
because we're out there and we're saying, okay, yeah, I'm trying to make my mark in the world, right? I'm, I don't want to hide anymore, right? I, I, I don't want to believe these words that are, that, that, are, uh, um, that are coming against me, you know, this slander and stuff like that. Like, I'm trying to stand up against it. I want to make achievements and, you know, push forward. But when the slander gets hard, when the lies become too much, when they are compounded not just over the things that you do, the things that you produce, but also compounded over your heart, how in the world can you find refuge in your achievements? But if the Lord is yours, then you have refuge. Whether your achievements or your ambitions are filled with self-interest or not, the removal of these cannot destroy who you are if you don't belong to them, but to the Lord. David, again, remembered that he belonged to God, and he took this down into his soul, and it changed him. David was delivered from the fear of criticism by hiding in the Lord as his refuge. And that is the invitation for us this morning, to hide in the Lord as our refuge. Now, it's nice to say that we have a divine father, a heavenly father who will not disown you. It's wonderful to have a God who will uphold your character in the heat of slander. Amen. But what about this system that we're all a part of? This system of slander and its con consequences seems like that they will continue to thrive. Will our heavenly father do anything about that? And so this, this psalm, I believe, also shows us that we can hide in God as our sovereign ruler. Okay? And uh, so remember, David was not a perfect man. Right? Remember Bathsheba? Okay? Right? But, uh, but he knows that he's innocent of these particular charges, although he doesn't know how he's going to clear himself of these charges, except but to just put himself in the hands of the Lord. Right? And so, um, but fear is not the only emotion that is present here in this song. Anger is also here. Anger over the cost of these false accusations. Verse 6, I'll, just, I'll read uh, what you have up here, just not, not to confuse. So verse 6, arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. Right? He knows, David, he knows that God is a just God and that he will one day turn our world right side up. And when he does, some people will be shaken up and they will fall right out. And some of these systems will fall under the new gravity of God's glorious future. God doesn't ignore the present or only focus on what is to come. As David says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for the wicked his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Some of us are so fed up with structures and systems of slander 
that we are calling out for the fire from heaven, right? And we're wondering, like, where's the fire already, God? When are you going to bring down judgment so that the world was finally set right? I know one of the toughest things for me about Juneteenth is just getting into this whole celebration piece. If I'm just being honest, like I, I get it and, I, and, I, and I'm with it on one level. But on the other hand, enslaved people didn't know they had been freed for almost two years. What? That should, I was about to say a word. It should, just, it should make you angry. What is that? I can't celebrate that. That is unjust. That is terrible. It took an outsider to come into the state of Texas and declare something that had been done already, legally. Folk try to hang on to these people, families, children, as property, even though legally that things have been switched and held them enslaved for two more years. Wow. This is, I mean, where's the fire already? Right? We, we know that slander damages not only individuals, but whole communities. And then not just with regards to race. Right? I mean, we can speak of immigrants. We can speak of orphans. We can, let's talk about gender. Right? Let's, I mean, there's just like there are all kinds of communities that are harmed by slander. When whole neighborhoods or people groups are redlined as, an un, as unworthy of investment, perpetually blacklisted generation after generation, we wonder, where's the fire already? Come on, God, do something. When children and their children's children are locked under stigma that they never earned, oh, these kids will never amount to anything. I don't want my kids in school with those kids. Slander. Oh, they come from that community. Those people. That family. Stigma. Slander. We no longer conceive of our neighbors as human beings endowed with assets that deserve to be called out to bring forth the potential of God's good world because of slander. When dreaming of being a zoologist or a professor or a sculptor, an entrepreneur, a curator, means being afraid of being called too bougie or so-called too white or too uppity. When hoop dreams and stock car racing and fruit carts are all that you have left because years ago somebody slandered your community and said you're unnecessary or at best marginal to the ecosystem of human flourishing. Where's the fire already? But we need not fear because David says that the Lord is El Elyon. God the Most High. God the Most High is supreme over all rulers and principalities, and therefore the, the slander inhibiting glory of entire 
nations, entire populations, populations who are made after the image of God, will be dealt with. This slander that continues to inhibit the glory of people who are made after the image of God makes God's anger hot. But why hasn't the fire come? David knew that by no means will God clear the guilty. But he also knew that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Verses 12 and 16, he says this, and I'll just read it briefly. He says, if, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made his mischief returns upon his own head, and on his skull, his violence descends. God is giving a warning, right? He's saying there's still time to repent. There's still time to turn away from supporting structures and systems that malign entire communities. There's still time to repent and to seek God's justice in this world and not simply our own models of social reform. There's still time to turn around and to seek his ways, and while we may be asking ourselves, where is the fire? We can also be thankful that God is merciful. We are tempted to shake a fist sometimes at the situations of our world because of God's mercy, but we ought to give thanks. Because there was an older lion, not just slander, but there's one who Jesus called the father of lies. The one who was too strong for any civilization or nationalism to overcome. Peter says that this lion is roaming about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And mostly through slander. He slanders God, and he goes about to every single person, to populations, communities, and families, and he says, God does not care about you. Therefore, you need to look out for yourself. He says, God demands of you, uh, he demands that you do things his way, and he leaves you with no choice but to somehow look after your own interests, and to live in God's world, uh, like as, as if like you're, 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 you're doing some, some, some of the work that some of us are used to, right? This is, this is the, the enemy says, hey, look, look, it, it, here's what you need to do, right? Just, just do the bare minimum. Bide your time until you hopefully retire early and live the way that you want. That's the kind of life that you should seek because God is not looking out for you. The old lion cheers as willingly as we willingly participate in deadly stereotypes about age or gender or our cultures just so we can get ahead 
and get the life that we want. Out of self-interest, we perpetuate and build a culture that is tangled in a web of slander as we show by our actions that we really do believe that God does not deserve any of what we can imagine for ourselves. His ways are not always worthy of being our ways. That's a deception. You know how many times we believe it, especially when we have been a victim of slander. It seems like the easiest thing to do if you've been victimized by slander is to return it to someone else. You went from being the victim in your story to becoming the villain. Man, not only does this happen among the irreligious, but we know that this happens in the church. Many of us have been wounded by the words of people who have called on the name of the Lord. And after all, this psalm that we're looking at this morning was written for God's people. It was written for God's household. It is assumed that both the wicked and the innocent were hearing, and that both of them were in the church. How long has the church been known for gossip? How long has that been the forgivable sin, if as it were, within the church? And the devil laughs. The old lion is having a field day. Right? Because there's one harsh criticism about both the religious and the irreligious that is actually true. And it is this, that we all slander God. All of us make a mess of his character and say things and, and live in such a way that, um, that, that doesn't promote what is true about who he is. And so the old lion laughs because if God is true to himself, then he has to leave us in the hole that we've dug for ourselves. The enemy wants you and I radically, get this, radically, that means at the root, way down, radically and irreversibly dehumanized. It, the, the reason why, like, with, there's a Juneteenth is because the devil has been at work, right? The, the reason why we celebrate what, what happened at Pearl Harbor is because the devil was at work, right? The reason why we, we have in, there, in all the travesties that have happened in our history, now, that's not to take away from the responsibility of humanity, not doing that at all. But we're saying, look, somebody else has been at work manipulating right, people who were already right, uh, leaning toward like, doing their own thing. Like People who were already self-centered were actually tempted by somebody else to take it to the next level. So the devil laughs because he knows that if God is just, and if God is holy, then he has to, he has to visit his justice upon us for what we have done. But there's good news this morning. 
because there's an even greater lion than the devil. The one in scripture who is called the Lion of Judah, the descendant of David, the son of his tribe, destined to deliver millions who would take refuge in him. And it's because of his mercy that the Most High sent his son Jesus to deliver a slanderous generation. Convinced of his father's eternal love for him, he set aside his glorious livelihood and the slander of his own creatures. And I mean, think of this. As Jesus was going to the cross, people actually had the gall to say, if this man truly is the son of God, let him save himself. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Where's the fire? Where's the fire, we ask? Look at the cross. God's justice burned hot over his own son. See how Jesus, the Lion of Judah, was brought low that humanity might be delivered from the plans of our enemy and be exalted. See how Christ, the Lion of Judah, accepted violence upon his name, that our names might be written upon his nail-scarred hands. Thank God for his mercy. You are more than your last sin. You are more than the sum of your achievements. You are more than the shambles of your fathers, your family, or your culture. For I heard Paul say that, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In a minute. We're going to run to God. We're going to go to his table, right, to be embraced by him there. And then it's there that we should, uh, you know, I, let's remember that, that we all are in different places, right, in terms of our belief. Like our faith in the Lord, it, there's a spectrum, right? So some of us right now, it's, it's our trust in the Lord is really strong. And for others, it's, we're just barely hanging on, right? But... All of us will get to come to the table. Some have doubts about the justice or even the mercy of God. And I hope that I've spoken to that at some level. Some of you are convinced that God is your true refuge and your ruler, um, but were slandered by words or, or actions of your parents or your close friends or systems which have communicated that, that you've got to earn your spot on this planet. You don't deserve to be here until we can see what you're able to achieve. And maybe for some of you, a way that you have dealt with this is not by taking revenge on other people, joining in the slander, but maybe you have turned in on yourself. You've retreated into sinful or addictive behaviors. You've become your own villain. You're definitely afraid of others, really knowing who you are. The psychologist, uh, dark, um, not dark, Dr. Uh, Mark Laser, he, he said this. He says, uh, the, the issue for us right, is that uh, the adult in us may be on board with the liberating power of the gospel, but 
For some of us, there's a wounded child within that is not. Right? For some of us, there, like we may have heard, put this another way, we may be really clear about who the Lord is and the work of Jesus and everything that he has done on the cross. But there may be, like as an adult, but there may be a part of you that has been wounded when you were a child that has never met Jesus. You never brought Jesus to that part of you. Six years old, 13, 21, all right, depending on how old you are. That has never met the Lord. And that part of you is still crying out and still wonders. But the good news is that it's not too late. Because in Christ, your trajectory is eternal, eternal life. Right? See, you can take that wounded part of you to Jesus now. And even as you think, if you go, oh, man, well, man, I feel like, well, oh, wow, I just, I never, there are parts of me I never brought to Jesus. And so, but wait, maybe I only have like 10 years left in this world or 20 years left in this world. Like, maybe I wasted time. No, but remember, you have eternity. So bring that part of you to Jesus now. Because what you're doing is you're investing in eternity. And if you need assistance with this, I mean, you can just talk to anybody in our prayer team. Right? Or after the service with the, the chairs, right, to the, to the front and to the back. You can speak with, to someone about that. But friends, we would hide in the Lord as our refuge and as our ruler. It will change us. It will free us to be truly present in this world, seeking change as we really are. Secure in Christ, criticism of others may hurt, but it won't devastate. Secure in Christ, we will refrain from returning slander at the office or on Facebook, but rather seek the liberation of our oppressors. Secure in Christ, we will welcome those abused by the words of men and devils, individuals and structures. Secure in Christ, we can risk unjust criticism from others as we seek to be faithful with the gifts and the opportunities that God has given to us, using them to exalt our neighbors and the places around us. This is our calling. If your glory is hidden in God, then through Jesus Christ, you are free to serve the world to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Our Father, our refuge, and our sovereign King, we place ourselves in your hands this morning. And Lord, even if we struggle to do that, we see that uh, from your word that you are, you are quick to come after people who would call on you, Lord. Lord, if we can't even barely take a step, would you just hear our cry? Come to us. Help us to hide ourselves in you. For God, you have given us this life to glorify you. You have given us this life to be truly human, to be present in this world, to serve others in spite of any unjust criticism that we might receive. And God, you have freed us so that we can live uh, free from the guilt that we actually do deserve. 
Lord, help us to claim the security and the freedom that you have given to us in your Son. Lion of Judah, march before us. Lead us in triumph. In the valleys and in the dark places, may the echoes of your roar be heard in every single corner. May the enemy himself cower in your presence as your people move forward in weakness and in your strength, seeking your renewal and your love and your justice in every place because we are yours and this place is yours. Lion of Judah, yell the love of God deeply within our hearts. May it resonate within us, give us strength, give us true courage, not only today, but for the rest of our lives. And as your roar is heard, not only here, but also in eternity, may all who hear it bow down before you, cast their achievements at your feet, because you are worthy. And you are worthy alone to be called our king. Lead on, O King Eternal. Lead on. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.